Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Stop. Always great to be with you on our Wednesday afternoon. And we have so many beautiful things to share this afternoon. So I'm so glad you're with us and you're listening to Soul to Soul today. The first one we're going to start out with is uh, this week we're actually going through a very interesting period of the Torah readings right now. We, when we started reading from Sefer Shmois from the second book of the Torah, so the first six parashos, the first six portions that we read from Shmois, the first letter of each of those parashas spells the word Shoivavim, Shmois Ve'era Bo B'Shalach Yisro Mishpatim. This week we read Parshas Yisro, so that is um, the the fifth of those six parashas. And Shoivavim is an important time in the calendar, it's a time actually where we learn about Taras HaMishpacha and the purity of Jewish family life and the importance of um, channeling our drives in the right way and in the holy way. Uh, that's a big emphasis, and the deep Kabbalistic reasons why that is so, that Rizal explains, because it's a tikkun for the chait of Adam and Chava, that the Neshomas in Mitzrayim were as a result of their sins, and therefore we are matakin that at this time. Um, and the, the this period of Shovim ends with Parshish Mishpatim, which is next week, which we read next Shabbos, but we, the, um, perhaps one could say that one of the climaxes of this time is this week's Parsha, Parsha's Yisro. Because Parsha's Yisro deals with the cataclysmic event in world history, that of the Torah being given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, which is something that changed the destiny of humankind forever. And uh, today, more than 3,000 years later, we still um, live in the wake of that incredible event, which, uh, which is the foundation of all morality within the world. An event which is quite unbelievable, that the creator of the universe reveals himself to a nation. It's never happened before. It's never happened since. It was one single time in the history of the world that the creator of the world, that God, openly spoke, not to one person, which is the basis of all other religions, but spoke to a nation, spoke to three million people, which is quite a audacious claim that a whole nation heard God speak to them. And that is a claim that the majority of the world agrees with, the majority of the world population, even today, the majority of the seven billion people that live on our planet, will agree that Muhammad Har Sinai, that the events at Mount Sinai of God speaking to a nation actually took place. That's something that, of course, is the foundation of all of Judaism. And it's something that Christians and Muslims also agree with and agreed that God spoke to the Jewish people and gave them his law and his um, outline for um, living in this world. That's Muhammad Har Sinai, and that's what... Uh, distinguishes Judaism from all the other religions 
because you might say, why should I listen to one individual who claims that they had a prophecy? Bring me proof of that prophecy, um, which is a very um, sensible thing to say and a very valid argument um, that you wouldn't believe something until you have proof that it actually happened. So why should I believe somebody else's prophecy? But when it happens to a nation of three million people, so that is believable. That's something that is verifiable. That is something that can't be fabricated. Because if I came along and said that, you know, the, uh, God appeared to me and another 500 people, so one would expect those 500 people to ratify that claim and to reinforce that that is exactly what happened. Um, if that wasn't the case, so those other people would deny it and the original claim would fall flat and would dissolve. But to make that claim and for it to be a part of the consciousness of humanity and something that the majority of the world agree with means that it must have been a valid claim. Otherwise, it wouldn't have got off the ground. So that such is the claim of Judaism and the basis of our religion. And that event was quite incredible. So we're going to talk about it in a moment, but let's first actually talk a little bit about the build-up to the event of Maimut Harasena receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. Um, and that is actually, very interestingly, it's in Parsha's Yisro. Yisro, Jethro, he was Moses' father-in-law, Moshe Rabbeinu's um, wife's father. And he was somebody who joined the Jewish people. And the Parsha, firstly, we're going to discuss in a moment, why is the Parsha receiving the Torah, which is really the climax of the whole Torah, um, in Parsha's Yisro. What a great honor to Yisro that that Parsha is named after him. And secondly... What is, uh, why do we make such a fuss of this individual Yisrael? Why is he given such a position of prominence in the Torah that we're speaking about him to this day? So, Rav Yeruchim, the great, uh, Mashkiach of the Mir Yeshiva, actually points out a very interesting, um, insight into Yisrael. The Torah opens up this week by telling us that Yisrael brings Tzipora, which is his daughter, Moshe's wife, and Moshe and Tzipora's two sons, Eliezer and Gershon, and they meet up with the Jewish people in the desert. This is now after the Jewish people have been through the plagues, have left Egypt, have been through the spitting of the sea. They're now journeying in the desert, which we know took place for 40 years. And that's when Yisro and um, his family join Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people. And Rabbi Yerucham says that Yisro noticed something interesting about Moshe and about what was going on. He said to Moshe, why is it that you are dealing with all the disputes and all the issues within the nation? That is too onerous on you and on the people. So people would wait for hours and hours. Moses had now, you know, was the um, one who received the, the, the law from God. And he was the one who would now adjudicate over disputes within the people. Within, within the nation, if there's three million people, so we know that there are lots of issues that happen and disputes that take place. And so Moses, who was given the law, would be the one who was equipped to, according to the system of God, how to deal with these different disputes, whether they were financial, whether they were emotional, whether they were um, physical, whatever it may be, Moses would be the, the address that everybody turned to. And Yisrael had a very critical eye. And he saw that this just wasn't practical for Moses to run the nation and conduct um, the affairs in this way. And so he said to Moses, it's, it's not going to work. It's just not sustainable. 
and you need to train individuals and these individuals will be appointed as heads over the people and they will then in turn train others and then there will be a system, a hierarchy and the smaller disputes will go to the individuals that were trained and larger disputes will then go further up the, the ladder and then only those disputes that the others are not able to resolve will come to you. It will be a much more practical way uh, to run the nation. And Moshe heard Yisrael and appreciated the uh, constructive criticism and implemented the suggestions that Yisrael had given him. Now, uh, Rabbi Rucham asks and says, is this a good quality or this is, is this a bad quality that Yisrael has? Yisrael is critical. It's very critical. And he expresses his criticism. So uh, Rabbi Rucham has a beautiful insight, a really powerful insight to life about being critical and about testing whether criticism is positive or is negative. So please stay with us. We're going to share that beautiful insight when we return in a few moments. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been discussing uh, Rabbi Rucham's wonderful insight about Yisrael and says that Yisrael was critical and applied his critical mind who was going on in Klai Yisrael. Is that a good quality or is that a, a bad quality? Well, the answer is, as always, it depends. And Rabbi Yerucham says he got a beautiful way of measuring whether criticism is positive or negative. He says if a person who is critical doesn't only apply that criticism outside, but applies it inside as well, then it's positive. But if the criticism is only going out, you know, we have our armchair um, philosophers, politicians, sports experts, that, you know, wax lyrical about everything um, that passes their eyes, usually on the screen, but uh, they don't apply that same level of analysis to their own lives and own personalities. So that's an indication that criticism is negative and not consistent. But when we apply it to ourselves as well, so then it is a positive trait and could be something that can drive us and guide us and lead us to achieve great things in our lives. And for example, we see that that was the case with Yisrael. Yisrael was somebody who was self-critical. In other words, we know the Torah tells us that Yisrael first presents Yisrael as the priest of Midian, Kohen Midian. He was the, the priest, he was the Pope of Midian, Yisrael. And in fact, he wasn't just a person who was involved in Avodah and idol worship. The Torah tells us that he even fattened up the lambs in order to bring them as sacrifices for idol worship. It's like uh, equivalent of a person baking their own matzahs. Not good enough to buy the matzahs, they're baking themselves because it's very valuable and very precious and very important to them. Yisrael did that. He actually fattened up the calves himself and then could bring them to Avodah Zorah. And he applied this critical analysis to his own life. And that brought him to the understanding that all of these other religions and all of these other philosophies were superficial and didn't have a strong basis to them. And that brought him to Torah. So therefore we see his, obviously we're talking about being self-critical in a healthy and balanced way, not in a negative, destructive way, but done so 
in a sensible way is a, a very important quality for us to have. And in fact, all of the middos work that way. In, in Torah, we call character traits middos. A middo actually means a measure. So we're supposed to use that quality in the right measure. When it's used in the right measure, so then it's used correctly. And when it's used in the wrong measure, so then it's abused and destructive and used incorrectly. So even this quality of criticism, um, if used in the right way, is a very powerful tool that we all should employ in our lives in order to bring us to truth, in order to bring us to what's real and what's based on evidence and what is sensible and logical, as opposed to um, living lives that are fantasies and not based in truth. So, and there's a beautiful statement of our sages. The sages tell us in the Gemara, The difference between Gehenim and Gan Eden is a hair's breadth. In other words, our use of our character traits has to be measured just right. The middah has to be used properly in order for it to be constructed. So, for example, even the middah of kina, jealousy, we're going to discuss that in a moment because it's part of the Ten Commandments, even that middah, when used properly, can be constructive. So, for example, the Gemara says, kina soifrim tar bechokma. So, usually we'd say jealousy is bad. And jealousy is destructive. And jealousy is something that we could should completely eradicate from our personalities. But when used in the right context, it actually could propel us to achieve greatness. So kinas soifrim tabechochma, the jealousy of scholars, increases wisdom. If a person sees somebody else that they're learning, that they're developing in their Torah knowledge, that they're doing the dafyomi, and they're covering a tremendous amount of ground and a tremendous amount, they're using their time constructively. So that should make us jealous and that should make us want to achieve that too and drive us and inspire us to achieve our potential. So that's when jealousy is used in the right way. When jealousy is used in the wrong way, so it can be negative and destructive and really eat away at us and be very harmful. So it's a beautiful insight of Rav Yeruchim. We see the middah of criticism used properly by Yisroi, not only on the outside to Moshe, but on the inside as well. And that's what brought Yisroi to Torah and to embrace the Jewish people. And that was a tremendous act of greatness on, y- on Yisro's part. He gave up all the honor. He gave up all the glory. He gave up all the power that he had uh, accumulated in his life. As we said, he was the Pope of Midian. He threw that all away in order to go into the desert and join the Jewish people. Um, uh, the Mesir Shishayim, the great Rav Moshe Chaim Luzoto, teaches us, a beautiful teaching, and he says that everybody who goes after honor, who's seeking honor, the honor will flee from that person. But anybody who flees from honor, the honor follows that individual. So a person should know that... Um, and Yisro is the classic example of that. That Yisro was somebody who threw all the honor away. He threw all the power and all the glory that he had away in order to live by the truth. And he left it all behind and went to, to join the Jewish people. So he ran away from honor. And he, in return for that, received the greatest honor in the history of humankind. What happened? That Moshe Rabbeinu got word. He was told that his father-in-law is coming 
to join him in the desert. Moshe gets up. When Moshe gets up to go out and leave his tent and greet his father-in-law who's coming towards him in the desert, so Aaron sees Moshe doing that. Aaron gets up. When the elders see Moshe and Aaron getting up and going out into the desert to greet somebody, so the whole nation, they're not going to stay behind. They see Moshe and Aaron going, they're going also. The whole nation of three million people went to greet Yisrael. So he left the honor and the glory, and in return, he received the greatest honor and glory that a human being could receive. And it's, it's a beautiful teaching for life um, that when we actually leave, when we're looking for honor, usually we don't find it. And when we're searching for truth and not for honor, so usually that's when honor catches up with us. There was a chassid who says to his Rebbe, Rebbe, all my life I've been running away from Kavod, but it seems to never have found, never have caught up with me, uh, you know, questioning this teaching of the Masidah Shijarim. And his Rebbe answered to me, said, the problem is, is that when you're running away from the honor, you're turning around and looking over your shoulder, finding, seeing where it is behind you. So one, it really is a beautiful and wonderful teaching, and it's a consistent principle in life. We see usually the ones that get the honor, the ones that are, are running away from it, the ones that want the honor, usually it's fleeting, and they're not able to get it. And that's why the Pasha is in Yisro. It's another honor to Moshe. So, in other words, the greatest compliment a human being could get is the Pasha of the giving of the Torah, of God speaking to the Jewish people, the foundation of all of the Jew, of, of, of Judaism is in the, is called Pasha's Yisroi, because Yisroi was the one who showed a tremendous commitment to truth and to, and to giving up the, the other superficial philosophies that he was following and to joining God and joining the Jewish people. What a great privilege and honor that is of Yisrael. And that's why we honor, and, and he converted to Judaism. We honor this convert, Yisrael. Um, so we see it at Mamad Har Sinai, when the Jewish people received the Torah at Mount Sinai. So it tells us, the Pasuk, in fact, uh, Rabbeinu Yonah says in his Sefer, Sharei Avoida, says a beautiful thing in Oise. He says, Shebebeisa Migdash, haya b'chol eis v'shah, that in the base of Migdash in the temple, at every moment, it was comparable. It was similar to the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai um, with regards to the Indian Kavod Hashkina, with regards to the glory of the divine presence. As it says, that when there was a revelation of God's presence, so that's where there will be yira. There will be a, a awe and reverence for God. So Rabbi Yonah says that the atmosphere and the environment in the temple in the base of Migdash was a such that there was such a tremendous um, reverence for Hashem like at Mount Sinai. There was, when the, there's a revelation of God's presence, Gidu Shechina, so that creates yira. That creates a rev, a uh, Revenance of Hashem, a fear of Hashem. So the question is, and in fact, we actually say that in our davening. We say at the end of Shmoneso, we say Vasham Navdacha Beyura Kemeyam Uchshanim Kadmoniyos. That over there, Hashem will serve you, Hashem Beyura in in yira, in fear, in reverence, like the days of old, like in previous year, in times. So that was the the characteristic of the Beis Hamikdash that there was rev, reverence of Hashem, there was fear of Hashem. 
Now, I, heard, I saw such a beautiful thing describing that based on the Shloh. The Shloh says that the fear of Hashem that we have is based in Ava, is based in love. And the Shloh explains. He says the fear is not, uh, it's not Yiras Ha'oinesh. It's not fear of being punished. That's infantile. That's punitive. Our, our relationship with God is much deeper, much more sophisticated than that. And that is that uh, the Shlo, Shlo was the great Rabbi Shaya Horowitz, who was a, a leader of Polish Jewry. He was in Prague in the uh, 17th century. So the, the Shlo, he's actually buried in Tiveria next to the Rambam, where the Rambam's buried. It's worthwhile going there when you're next to the Eretz to Tiveria. The Rambam's grave is right in the middle of town and go to the grave of the Shlo as well. So the Shlo explains, he says, that in any loving relationship, when there's a relationship of love between individuals, so both of those individuals are aware of that beautiful connection that they have, that trust and that love and that intimacy, that emotional intimacy that they have, and they are very conscious of not behaving in a way that will harm that love, that will damage that trust and that connection. They frightened of damaging that connection. So, so says the Shlob, that's what the Torah is referring to. When the Shekhinah was there and Klai Yisrael was feeling very close to Hashem, they had that beautiful, deep, powerful, intimate connection and they were frightened to do anything that would damage that, that would get in the way of that, that would display a disloyalty and a disconnection in that relationship. And that's what Yiras Hashem means. It comes from Avas Hashem. Because there's such a deep relationship of love, so the automatic consequence is that the behavior of those individuals will be as such that they won't do anything that would be disloyal to and jeopardize that love. They're frightened of damaging that love. That's what Yiras Hashem is. Isn't that beautiful? So that's what happened at Har Sinai. At Har Sinai, there was such a powerful revelation of God's presence that the Jewish people felt that love and closeness and connection to Hashem. And as a result, the consequence of that was Yiras Hashem, was their fear of damaging that relationship. And a Jew who lives with a healthy relationship with God will have an Avas Hashem, which is the foundation of everything, a love of God. And that love of God manifests in their behavior in Yiras Hashem that they won't do anything to damage that relationship. And that is the that is how uh, the balance between Avas Hashem, the love of God, and Yiras Hashem, the re- reverence and fear of God works, which is really powerful and really beautiful. And that is based in Muhammad Har Sinai. That's what happened to the Jewish people in the desert. That's what happened at Har Sinai. That was the beginning of that magnificent, deep, intimate relationship with the Jewish people and God. And that's something that we strive to achieve in our lives. We strive to try and 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 uh, feel God's love and God's closeness. And we're able to do that intellectually with our minds because if we look at the world objectively and we look at this incredible planet that God created and we see the perfection and the intricacies and the vastness of our universe, of our planet, of ourselves, of our bodies – we see that God designed it all not out of chance or out of accident. That is ridiculous to say such a thing. It really is ludicrous. 
And it's something that statistically is so, so unlikely. It's highly, highly unlikely. The probability level is very, very low that that happened by accident. So logical, basic thinking leads us to the clear conclusion that the sophisticated world was created by a benevolent creator. And that creator created it for us to live a life of meaning, to live a life of purpose, to live a life of growth and development, to live a life in which we um, overcome our lowly physical selves and build a connection and relationship which is beyond the physical with God, which is the source of life and of everything in the world. So it's pretty logical that that's the purpose of our existence. And God loves us very much. God loves us very deeply. The Torah teaches us that we were, we exist in this world. We're alive in this world only because God loves us. There are many, many factors that are at play in order to ensure that we still are alive in this world. And as we've seen with the pandemic, we are very fragile creatures and one small virus has really, you know, has thrown a spanner into the works and turned the world upside down. That's how fragile our systems are, how sensitive we are. And there's so much that has to be just right in order for us to be able to live in this world. And so the fact that we're alive, that's what we say every morning. We open our eyes. We say, We thank you, the living God, that you, You've returned my soul into my body. Abundant is your faithfulness. You have faithfulness in me that I will live, a, live the life that I'm supposed to and live how I achieve my potential. And that's why you've given my soul back to me after I've woken up in the mornings. So th- this relationship of love is the foundation of all of Judaism. It's what happened at Mount Sinai. And it's something that we try and achieve in our lives. To It's not a simple thing because God is abstract. God is not physical. And to build a relationship with an abstract being is something that is uh, takes work. It's not simple. And we have to see the world through the lenses of the Torah, see the world through the, the, the uh, description of the Torah. When we do that, then we can enter into a world of spirituality, a world of God. And that usually is, is not the same way the rest of the world sees life and sees what we're doing over here. We have to be strong. We have to be able to swim against the tide. We have to be able to be true to our intellect and see objectively what the world is and the, the intricacies of creation and the fact that there is the fingerprints, fingerprints of the creator are everywhere. And then we begin to build a relationship with that creator. And of course, as Jews, we know what that creator wants from us. He wants us to live according to the Torah and according to the mitzvahs, which is a framework within which to do a tremendous amount of, of work on the inside and to develop ourselves and to overcome our lower selves and to become noble human beings. That's our journey and the, the uh, framework of our journey in this world. So that's what happened at Harasinah. The beginning happened at Harasinah and everything then follows that incredible event that happened to the Jewish people over 3,000 years ago. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing this 
incredible event, the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which is in the this week's Pasha, Pasha's history. So let's discuss a little bit about what happened. The Jewish people arrive at Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses that they have to prepare themselves, and uh, they do so, and then God appears to the Jewish people. And God speaks to them, and he says, Anoichi Hashem Lokecha, I am Hashem your God, the first of the Ten Commandments. And our sages teach us, the, based on the Midrashim, that the experience was so powerful, was so incredible, that they weren't able to keep their souls in their bodies. The electricity was so strong that their souls actually blew out of their bodies, flew out of their bodies. And Hashem sent the Malachim to restore their souls and put them back in their bodies because to see Hashem in this world is literally mind-blowing. Hashem, the essence of all creation, um, we're not able to, there's a very delicate marriage of body and soul, of physical and spiritual, which is the makeup of every human being. And when a person dies, so there's the soul is now detached from the body, the body returns back to the ground, and that's why it's so important that as Jews, we're not cremated. Cremation is prohibited according to the Torah because the body needs to undergo its tikkun, needs to undergo its rectification back in the ground from where it came. Um, if a, a cremation denies the body that opportunity, which causes great pain to the soul. So it's very important that when a person dies, they're buried in the ground and with a proper Jewish burial, and the soul then go, continues its journey. The, the soul doesn't die. The soul is eternal. The soul lives forever. Sometimes the soul comes back and is reincarnated, and so, or sometimes the soul carries on its journey to reach its ultimate tikkun, its ultimate completion and perfection. Um, so what happened at Mount Sinai was when God spoke to the Jewish people, so it was so, such a powerful spiritual experience that the souls became detached from their bodies and blew out of their bodies. God then instructed the Malachim, the angels, to restore the souls back in their bodies. And then God spoke to them for a second time and said, the second commandment that you should not um, worship idols, there should be no idolatry. And again, we see once again that the their souls blew out of their bodies second time. And Kalei Israel then said to Moshe, um, it's enough. They said, we, we can't do this anymore. It's too difficult, too intense for us. We're not at a level where we're able to absorb this experience because um, it's too strong. So you go get the Torah from God at Mount Sinai, and you tell us what God said. And that's why the Gemara Mako says that the Pasuk says, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Marash Akilas Yaakov, Torah. The Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Moshe commanded the Jewish people to keep the Torah. If you take the numerical value of Torah, so Taf is 400, and Vav is 6, and Resh is 200, and Hay is 5. So that adds up to 611. So there were 611 commandments that Moshe commanded. Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe. 611 came from Moshe. And the other two, Mipia, Gevura, the Gemara says. And the other two commandments we received directly from Hashem. Hashem gave us the other two. So that is how we get 630. The first two directly from Hashem. And then they said to Moshe, okay, you know, we, we, we see this is the real deal. This is uh, the creator speaking to the, the Jewish people. And uh, we trust you as our leader. And you go receive 
the other 611 and you will then communicate them to us because we are not in a position to receive them directly from Hashem. And that's exactly what happened. Moshe then goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. He lives miraculously on the mountain without eating or drinking or sleeping like a malach, like an angel. He comes down um, with the entire Torah. And the, the Moshe, when he comes down, he's holding the tablets and the tablets, which the first tablets were written by Hashem, Hashem actually wrote those uh, and, and um, prepared those tablets. And the, on, the, the one side of the tablets are five commandments and the other side of the tablets are another five commandments. So let's just go through the Ten Commandments quickly. Now, it's important to realize the Ten Commandments are not the entire Torah. The Ten Commandments, Rav Sajjah Gohan says, are ten categories. All of the other mitzvahs in the Torah fit under these ten categories. But you can't just follow the Ten Commandments and not do anything else. Well, I, I, I've heard that claim before, that people say, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm an old-fashioned Jew, keep the Ten Commandments. But I, I, I can almost certainly tell you that you're not keeping the Ten Commandments properly. Because if you're not learning the Torah Shabbat pair, you don't understand all the intricacies of what the Ten Commandments are saying. Um, which is very, very detailed, but really there are categories that all the mitzvahs um, full, fit under and uh, and are incorporated in. So the first commandment we know is, Anoichi Hashem Lokecha, I am Hashem your God, that I am the God who created the world, who took you out of Mitzrayim, who, um, it, it says, Anoichi Hashem Lokecha, Mitzrayim, I took you out of, uh, out of um, Egypt from the house of bondage. That's, so first one is that I am God, that there's a God. Second one is the prohibition against idolatry. Third commandment is the prohibition of making oaths in vain, using Hashem's name to make an oath in vain. Um, that's number three. Number four is keeping Shabbos, and that means keeping Shabbos properly, not breaking Shabbos, not doing any melacha, no creative activity, the 39 categories of melacha which are detailed. The fifth commandment, as we know, is the pro, is honoring parents, is covered esavicha vesimecha, honoring one's parents. The sixth commandment is the prohibition against murder. The seventh commandment is the prohibition against adultery. The eighth commandment is the prohibition against kidnapping. The ninth commandment is the prohibition about being a false witness, an eight shekher. And the last commandment, um, is not to um, covet others, not to have jealousy. Lo sachmut, lo sachmut, sachmut beisreicha, lo sachmut eishisreicha. Avdu v'amasu v'shore v'chamura kol hashevirecha. Do not covet um, your neighbor, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's ox. Uh, do not covet anything of your neighbor. So those are the ten commandments, and they're divided into two groups. The first five deal between Adam lemakom, between us and Hashem, and the second five. Obein Adam Lachavero between us and our fellow human being. And within these ten are all the other mitzvahs fit into these ten categories. But when we come back in a moment, we'll discuss one or two interesting points about some of these commandments. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 Chai FM.
Oh, I had a few interesting points to share with you about the Thinker Moments, but unfortunately we've run out of time. Time flies when you're in, having a great time, which has been the case over here. So let me just share with you one beautiful insight about honoring parents. We said the fifth commandment is to honor one's parents. The Torah says, You should honor your father and your mother in order that the days, your days are lengthened on the land, on the ground that uh, God gives you. In other words, to get, if you honor your parents, God will reward you with a long life. Interesting promise the Torah makes. And uh, also interesting to mention that when the Torah is mentioned in uh, in the Devarim, so we see over there that the Pasuk actually adds in the fifth commandment, in Pasha's verse Hanan, so it says, um, it adds, as God commanded, as Hashem your God commanded you. So the Nativ says that the reason why it says, as Hashem your God commanded you, is that to honor parents is a requirement whether you have a warm, nostalgic love for your parents or you don't. The reason why we do it is not because of our reciprocation and love for our parents. We do it because God commanded us to do it. So we always have to honor our parents. Even if we don't have that um, emotional connection with them, we're still obligated because God told us to do it. That's why we do it. So it's a very powerful mitzvah honoring parents, and it's a very important mitzvah, and it's one of the only mitzvahs in the Torah that God says you will get a long life if you honor your parents. And that's something that um, is vital that everybody takes seriously and puts time and effort and energy into and fulfills this important commandment of God. Now, you could ask, why is it the fifth commandment? So we said there are two tablets, the first five, which represent two pillars upon which the Torah is built. Five of them, the first five deal with us and God, and the second five deal with us and our fellow human beings. But the honoring parents should be in the second five, which is dealing with us and the fellow human beings. Um, our parents are fellow human beings. So why are they on the side of Ben Adam Lamakum between us and God? Because the Gemara says, because honoring parents is a indication of honoring God. The way we honor our parents is the way we'll honor our God. And God regards our honoring of our parents as if we are honoring God Himself. That's that's, and it's a, it, it makes sense. Why? Because it's a, in fact the Gemara says that um, there are three partners in our creation. There's a mother, a father, and Hashem. So each are partners in, in our creation. So if we're honoring the two partners, our parents, we'll also honor the third partner, Hashem. So Hashem regards it if he's being honored when we honor him. So listen to this amazing story, and we'll finish with this. Um, the the, the Leib Simcha, was the previous Gera Rebbe, said that years that are spent dedicated honoring parents and looking after parents in need are not, part of the, are, are not counted as part of the cheshbon of our life. There's a true story that I heard from Rabbi Biederman, a family from Ashdod. Their name is the Moskovitz family, um, a very wonderful, righteous family living in the Israeli city of Ashdod. And Mrs. Moskovitz wasn't feeling well, and she uh, underwent a number of tests, and she went to a specialist who told her the results of the test that unfortunately she had cancer that was very far developed. And uh, it was so severe, the cancer, that Treatment was uh, was beyond treatment. Treatment would not do anything. And the specialist said to her that um, that uh, she had six le- six weeks to live. 
Now, this specialist doctor wasn't a religious doctor. He came to the shiva of this lady who passed away, and he told the following story. He said, when I told Mrs. Moskowitz that she had six weeks to live, she said, I have an insurance policy, and I'll live beyond that. And he, like, you know, snubbed at her. She said, I look after my elderly mother, and that's my insurance policy, and therefore I'm not worried. That's what he told her. So this doctor said he learned trust in God from this woman. This woman's mother lived for another two years post that diagnosis, and the woman, Miss Moskowitz, also lived for another two years. After her mother died, exactly six weeks later she passed away, exactly six weeks after the mother died. So the doctor said, we see that that insurance policy was in place, that my diagnosis was correct, that if she didn't have that protection, so she would have had six weeks. And when that protection went, when her mother passed away, so then she only lived for another six weeks. So really an amazing true story. And so it should inspire all of us that we should go to great effort to fulfill this important commandment of honoring our parents. And we should fulfill all the commandments. And please, God, we should build that relationship of love between us and Hashem, that relationship in which we um, invest in that relationship, in which we do all we can to preserve and cherish and nourish that connection and not do anything to damage and harm that connection. So the mitzvahs are building and investing in that relationship, and the transgressions are harming and damaging that relationship. So the Yira Sashem that we have prevents us from doing transgressions, which will damage that relationship. And please God, all of Klai Israel should feel Hashem's love and Hashem's closeness, and we should all connect to the Torah as it was given at Harasinai. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.